Welcome back to the peripheral. Uh, this episode is long overdue. All the madness over the holidays has really delayed everything. Sometimes I feel the peripheral is cursed with every single time I sit down to work on it or publish, something happens. For instance, as I'm recording this, the internet is down at my house and power is going on and off sporadically. Uh, So I'm trying to get this intro recorded so then I can turn around and drive to a Starbucks so I can upload and publish this episode. Quick heads up, I was on another podcast called About Face. It's people that have turned their life around or have gone through a major change. So check that out. It's About Face Podcast. We've covered domestic abuse a couple times from different aspects. This episode is about domestic abuse, but from another angle, it's when a man is the victim. Now, please listen to the full episode because at the end, I do have an update from my guest. It's something that I would like to do with more episodes is give updates or see how people are doing. This one happened to just take me so long that uh, I was able to add the update directly to the episode. Well, I've talked enough. Let's get started. My name is Sam. Back in 2015, I had a best friend for, we've been friends for eight years, and he meets this girl on Tinder. Her name is Shelly. She's kind of like aloof in the way that he's dating her for a little bit, a couple months now, and we have a pretty strong circle of friends, and he like never brought her around or anything like that, and so everyone was like, who is this girl? And so I kind of brought this mystery. She was from L.A. She was back home for the winter break because she was going to college. And I talked to her. That was when I talked to her on the phone for the first time. There was a very jovial tone, and she was kind of like, what's the word, sassy, I guess. There's a lot of banter and stuff like that. And fast forward a little bit. By the time I finally met her, it was pretty like, there was a, definitely a connection there. In my head, I was being very, um, hey, no. But really, I was being just as suggestive as she was. So eventually, my friend wants to... It's kind of getting to the point where he's realizing there's just a lot, a lot of differences between the two of them, and she's a lot of fun, but he doesn't really see her in a long-term thing. So he broke up with her, but then they, he kept kind of stringing her along, which I didn't like, um, because I liked her, and I felt that that was wrong. But eventually, she like broke things off with him, and then she, she texted me one night, and she knew that I smoked weeds. Hey, <laughs> want to come over and pat me a bowl? And I was like, all right. So I came over, and that was pretty much it. We were very sexually compatible as well as just, I just remember like laying down with her and just thinking like, oh man, this is so comfortable. Like I haven't felt this comfortable with a human being like ever. It's not as normal for me, even though I have been with a lot of relationships, it was like a new feeling. And she had just like intensity to her and she was very, um, I just thought of her as very fiery, you know, she was very um, assertive and confident. She definitely knew her, her state in the world and her place she definitely um, demanded a certain amount of maybe respect, some ways maybe reverence, I don't know. From then on, I was seeing her once or twice a week, but even at that point, she was, it wasn't like overt, like, you need to come here, but it was definitely like, 
always complaining that it was so far away until we saw each other, which is not too out of the ordinary, you know. So this kind of is starting the groundwork for what I, I guess now would believe to be some kind of Stockholm Syndrome situation where she has, everything was always a test with her. It was always a test. Everything was always a test, whether she would say it or not. It's everything I was being tested. It was always like some crucible, like life was just a crucible to be up to her status. So even from the beginning, she would say stuff like, well, if you want out, you got to be out now, but you're never going to talk to me again. So she would act like she was giving me an out, but really she was also kind of saying, how much do you really love me? And since I loved her and in my head, I, she was, if you're going to ask me, then yeah, I'll do anything for you. Because all I want to do is be this soldier. And at that point in my life too, I, my biggest issue would be, had been like being an adult. Like I felt like I could do, I was mature in some ways, but then there's a lot of ways that just, being an adult is just so difficult. And this was like my chance because she was so adult in so many ways. She grew up, we'll get to that later, but she grew up in a situation where she had to be an adult very early yeah. in her life. And because of that, she, she kind of was sure of herself in those ways. She could always take care of herself and stuff like that. And that was very attractive to me. And it seemed like she could teach me how to be that way. And so I immediately kind of took a oddly, pupil stance almost in some aspects of my life to her but I'm always and that's another thing about me is I'm very open and curious and I'm always open and I'm always just ready to hear everybody's side and level and that's the way I grew up the problem is is that she was so sure that she would whip my uh, I don't know into shape and I would just concede to her her viewpoint like I said she would she would ask how much I loved her you know if I would stay with her if everything went you know went to shit was that was I going to be able to stay with her and you know of course I was I stay with you of course and this was my chance to be a good person this is a chance for me to be an an adult a human being she was giving me these promises that we would be able to do this she was living with some people at the time it wasn't too long after that because of the friend group situation we went to a wedding of one of my friends was getting married we went to a wedding and this was like the first time that she was ever going to meet a lot of my friend group and they basically iced her. I was so, at that point, I remember being so worried about keeping her happy that I wasn't, I was in protect her mode and I didn't even think about them at all, really at all. I'm just, I'm there and anything that she might turn her the wrong way, I'm going to be making sure that it's not going to work. So I'm already at that point and the, the real abuse hasn't even started. I'm just kind of assuming that role from a very early on because all I want to do is make her happy. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I've conditioned myself to do from a very early situation. I mean, she's always very intimidating. She used fear in one way or another on me. I mean, and we would have these big arguments. I don't even remember what they're about now because of the other arguments totally eclipsed them. But uh, we would have argue, heated arguments at the beginning and I would, you know, sometimes I'm a, I'm a pretty sensitive person. So I would go like, I would go take a shower and then I'd cry. And then she would come in there and, and she'd see that I was crying and be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I, 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 you don't have to cry. Like it doesn't have to be like that. And so from very early on, I saw her as being very compassionate towards me. She was always very considerate to me whenever we, things were okay, even from the beginning, especially at the beginning. And that was the thing about her. She's very black and white, and she was very like, if you cross me once, that's it. She she would tell me, you know, I take delight in leaving. I love breaking off ties with people, you know, working a job for a year and then just saying goodbye or not never saying goodbye, just leaving, quitting and never saying goodbye. At this point, like some of my friends, a choice few are starting to text me and saying like, dude, what are you doing? What, why are you doing this? You know, this girl is totally like, messing everything up it's not that important like please like we love you come back and 
she got me at that point. So the responses that I would give were just responses that were basically, I was just her conduit. Like she would pick at me to find the words that I needed to use. And so she'd be like, you're really going to let him treat me like that? You're really going to let him say all these horrible things about me? And so it definitely immediately gave like a, a me or them attitude. Immediately things start to polarize with me, with the friend group. So this kind of is starting the groundwork for what I, I guess now would believed to be some kind of Stockholm Syndrome situation. And so I chose her. Uh, I mean, she's very alluring. She's got me in about four different mental traps. We have a real connection. We're actually compatible in a lot of ways. The way my therapist now says that, you know, if you weren't really in love, it wouldn't have, you wouldn't have stayed there for so long. So that didn't help either. I actually like felt a lot for her. So I picked her, and then it that kind of eventually permeated to my family. Um, she went to a couple family events. The first time she met my parents, it was a disaster. She almost broke up with me. My parents are nice Southern people. I mean, my dad grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, but they've always been around Nashville, and they were very nice and very polite. And Shelly's from West Covina, from the ghetto. The, from where she grew up and the stuff that she would describe to me, it's a rough place to live, and then she had a lot of family issues. But the point is that she grew up in a, in a place where you don't just, like, talk to people for no reason. You don't – you're very real a lot of times, too. You're not fake. She's not used to people – she thinks that being polite and being nice to people that you don't know is being fake. You don't know me. Why are you acting like you love me? So she just felt like they were being fake, and she saw that I was acting like they were you put on a different face for your, your parents because out of respect. And it not, it's not necessarily a different face. It's just more like, you know, you watch your mouth. You don't talk about illicit things that you would maybe talk about with your friends. Like, it's just simple stuff. But she, her, her mom was like her best friend, you know, just like another girl. So she doesn't really get that dynamic. It, that's normal life and family behavior. And if she can't coalesce or be a chameleon at least to that degree – Sounds like a her problem and not a you problem. <laughs> right. But of course she makes it a me problem. She says, I don't know who you were in there. You were like a robot. And I don't like that scares me. I don't know if I want to be with you because that you can just turn like that. It's just creepy. I felt like I was in the twilight zone from that moment. I'm, I'm immediately just in an apologize mode. I'm just like, I'm so sorry. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. Like, I didn't know it was going to be like that. I started just taking her side. It was just like, yeah, I don't know why I do that. That's not me. She's like, is that you? Do you really act like that? Do you talk like that? And I'm like, no. And she would just put these very contained logic, propose them to me with a backing of fearful tone. And at that point, the power imbalance was so strong that I felt helpless. And I, I felt like everything revolved around making her in a pleasant way, in a, be in a pleasant mood and not in a bad mood. And so now that she's in bad mood, all I can think is what can I do to make her in not bad mood? From that moment, I'm still just begging for her forgiveness and you know, for her to stay with me. Every year we go to, uh, my family goes to North Carolina and we go to a place called Nenehala. It was kind of a disaster, but also like, all right. It kind of went better, honestly, it went better than I thought it would, but there were still issues we were fighting a lot, just over little things. She used fear in one way or another on me. And we would have these big arguments. I don't even remember what they're about now because of the other arguments totally eclipsed them. But when she would get mad, it was so, it was like a free for all for when she wouldn't be mad. And she was aware of this. She was aware of this kind of Jekyll and Hyde like situation where 
as soon as something ticked her off, it was like she was triggered or something, you know, it had to have been. She just, this anger would just, she would just be in this mode of anger where she was more volatile, short, she would yell, just cut right at you, not talk to you, play games. We're coming back from this trip. And from then on, I pretty much was with her. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that was the day I came home. I wasn't even moved out or anything. She was living with a roommate and she just had like a room there. I mean, they share a shared living room space and kitchen and stuff, but she just had a room. I basically lived there. I didn't move all my stuff, but I, I lived in a small room with her. That's the start. And from that moment, other than three days for the next two years, I did not not see her. Other than three days that entire for, for entire two years, I was with her at some point every day. And for most of the time, most of the day. And for about probably 80% of the time, I was with her all day every day. Because at some point, she started working for me, and that's when it got really bad. At that point, we started getting really close, and then we were looking for houses. We found a house that was actually right next to my aunt in Nashville. It was kind of weird because we were being nice to my family kind of at that point. And that's the funny thing, too. My mom points that out, that um, she called my parents out and my family in general out for being fake all the time. But she was, like, super fake to my parents. Like, she hated them, but she, whenever they would be around, she would be nice. We moved to that house, which the neighborhood's pretty nice, but that it was like a duplex. And we started having cockroaches, which wasn't our fault. We cleaned all the time. I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night and there'd be a cockroach on my face. There would be just like an army of cockroaches on the way to the door and she would like freak out. But to me, I always saw that as an opportunity to be strong for her so then that she would be really happy with me. I mean, everything it's, at, at some point just became a life just turned into a series of ways that I can please her and keep her happy. So things were kind of bad, but also at the same time, really, 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 really good. I was in love and I was very strong. And because she kept reinforcing this, like, how much do you love me? And you all, you love me this much and this intensity. I responded in kind and I felt like I was feeling the intensity that she was facilitating. At some point she finds some stuff out about my past. So, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty sensual person. And in the past, a lot of my friends and my friend group that are females, I have been physical with at some point or have connected with them physically. So there were some people that were friends of mine that I had done stuff with that I did not, which we never really necessarily had that conversation. But there was one person in particular that I, she had asked me about in a rage and I freaked out and said no, because I was scared of what she would do. And so then when she found out the truth, that's when the, that's like, that was the moment when the abuse started, like really started. First thing she did was grab me by my hair. And she dragged me across our little bitty foyer area and slapped me around a little bit. That's when she really just started to degrade me. Uh, she told me that I was disgusting, that I was gross, that the person that I was, that I had been with was gross and that I was gross for thinking that. And she couldn't believe that she was with someone that would think that, that person was attractive, that I have no standards that I grew up in this stupid fucking backwater town and I don't know how, you know, I just fucked my cousin kind of thing. She would say, if you, if you want any chance to be with me ever again, or even, even remotely even think that you could be with me or even touch me, you have to admit that you're a horrible person and you're a waste of a human and that you're lower than human and that you're not worth anything. And I complied. 
I was crying profusely, and I would do. I would have done anything. I just, I just would have. I would have said or done anything to make whatever was happening stop. I'm assuming she told you that you had to cut off all your friendships too, and never speak to any of these people, right? It just kind of ended up happening a little bit before that, um, because of the conversations that I was having with my friends. I guess I didn't really finish that. She basically, when she said it's either us or them, I chose her, and so they kind of got the hint, and I kind of got the hint from them too. We both, my friends and me, both were kind of like, "Well, fuck you, then." But yeah, so she made me say all that stuff when she found out about that, and then then she was like, "Well, what else aren't you telling me?" And that really like was the, I guess, the origin of the psychological trauma or psychological kind of terror games that she would play with me in the way that she wanted to know what I have done with in my life that she needs to know about. If we're going to be together, I need to know that you're not this or that or this or that. And I need to see everything about you so that you, I know, you know. You know, there's this period of kind of like your trust is broken. So now we're in this situation where she's always kind of slightly upset with me, but sometimes she'd be happy. But then by the end of the day, like she'll remember what I did to her and she'd be upset. And then when she's upset, at this point, it became regular for her to berate me in a way of breaking down my self-esteem. I'm a musician. Those last couple of years, I had been really like growing and growing as a musician, making my own music, producing. At that point, when we were living together, I would say stuff like your music is so bad you're a good singer but like the way you use your voice is horrible like your music is so bad like you know that right like do we say it like that you know you know that right it's bad and she'd be like say your music's bad and i'd be like my music's bad you know i would just comply with her and um that really tore me down but the more she tore me down the more i had nothing and the more of a nothingness i was the more i needed her and so i relied more on her and she she relied more on me in some ways, too. Like, I took care of a lot of things for her. I would do anything to keep her in good graces. So any small task that you can think of was something that I would always be on. Getting water, where's your computer charger, this, that, fetch, this or that. Anything like that was like, oh, my God, this is my chance. You know, like, keep her happy. And then part of me, I say this, and I can almost hear my Stockholm in me. <laughs> but, like, everything was great. It wasn't because, especially at the end, later time, I was constantly at this certain level of anxiety because I didn't know when the top was going to blow off. At some point, I get an email from an ex-girlfriend who just is also just a friend at that point. She had been a long-time ex-girlfriend from high school, early college age years. But I didn't even know that the email was sent. I don't check my email. I'm horrible about emails anyway. It wasn't too long before she pretty much had control over my devices. She has an email where she's saying, you know, I don't know what's going on with you, but you shouldn't be alienating your friends. And if you're doing that, then it means that she's no good. Like, you got to get out kind of thing. Now, I hadn't read it. So she took it as undeniable evidence that I had deceived her again. And that was her big thing, lying. Mm -hmm. Lying is what would set her off. That was when things got really bad because... I've done this too many times now. He really can't trust me. I can't trust you with anything. Stop. You need to tell me every single thing that you think that I would have a problem with. Anything. Anything that comes to your head, tell me now. It was an interrogation. Completely. And she'd been doing this on and off. At this point, there would be moments where I would forget about things. And then stuff would happen where 
we would be driving and we'd be downtown and there would be a building there. And she mentioned the building about like, what is that building for? And then I would be like, mm, I don't know, even though I went there on my junior prom to take pictures. But I freaked out because if I was to say what I did, I went to a prom with a female, then she would immediately be in a bad mood. It wouldn't, she wouldn't immediately be like all out, but it would put her in that weird in between, you know, like that little purgatory between I'm almost there, but I'm just kind of pissed off. So when she's in that situation, she's almost looking for something to just set her off at that point. It's just a ticking time bomb. And so I would just don't even want to get to that point. So I would just, I would, I would buy. These would all compile up. I remember that I went to this restaurant with this person before in the past. And I would remember it and it would give me great anxiety because I would just be like, oh no, like if she knew she would just be so like, oh. And then sometimes everything would be totally fine and we'd be in the kitchen and she'd wrap her arms around me and then she'd look at me. It's kind of hard to talk about now because I think this is like a big, pretty pretty big like trigger point in the way she would talk about this because I think that was the start. I knew that stuff was gonna go down from here if this came out of her mouth, but she would look at me and she'd just go, what's wrong? And it would always come off nice and sweet. What was on your mind? What was bothering you? Nothing. I would say nothing is what I would do. I would say nothing. And she'd be like, you're really going to lie to me? After all this, you're really going to lie to me? I'm not, I'm not lying to you. And she's like, what are you lying to me about? And then it was, I mean, there's nothing I could do. Eventually, she was going to extract something from my brain. And then whatever it was, she wasn't going to like. Then I would tell her these things that building was this and immediately in between me talking about the things that I needed to confess to her, these confessions, she would be breaking down my self-esteem, telling me that I'm disgusting, that I'm horrible, that I'm pervert. She made me completely reject my past life. Everything that I'd ever done in my life was selfish. And I used everyone that I was ever in a relationship with. I'm selfish. I'm a narcissist. I'm always like everything about me. That's all I care about really is just me. And I don't have the decency to be straightforward and honest. After that time when uh, my ex-girlfriend sent me an email, that's when everything had to be said. You know, it's just little things like that. And I've had to just go to the regions of my mind, tell her every embarrassing thing I've ever done, anything that looked ill on my character, anything. Sitting on the floor, I can't go anywhere. I can't move anywhere. There's no leaving. That would be impossible. I'm in the middle of this. Otherwise, I would, I would, I would instill some wrath. And I didn't want wrath. I just wanted her to be happy because I know that we could just be so happy if we, if she could just calm down and be chill. If we could just be chill, like everything would be cool. Eventually, it gets really sexual with the stuff that she hates about me and stuff like that. And she would say stuff like. I want to, I want to fuck this guy. She would be saying stuff to try to like upset me, but then I would joke back with her in the same tone that she was using. And then she would carry on with the banter. And then eventually we were just joking and laughing because I would come up with some ridiculous scenario that she would then couldn't help but laugh. And then it broke and we were being cool for the next, however long, I don't know. It was, it was all random. You never knew what happened. And if it did work one time, she would, re- she would know that it worked. And so the next time it would happen, she'd be like, don't think you're doing that. It's not going to work this time. She would say, when I'm angry, I'm in at the most, there's a part of me inside that knows that I'm being angry and that, but I just, I cannot stop. Me and her had 
hours, you could compile days of the hours that we mulled over trying to figure out some way that we could have a successful relationship where she wouldn't get mad at me and we could always be chill. What it came down to was I needed to be better. So you think it was bad that I had to say everything I'd ever done. Then it, the true horror set in when that wasn't enough anymore. Then at some point she had a question in her head of, what are you thinking instead of what have you done? What are you thinking right now? What have you thought about? Have you, have you been thinking about your past relationships? Have you been thinking sexual thoughts? Have you been thinking about other people? Have you been thinking bad things about me? That was the thing that was the most like traumatic in some ways is that she would just constantly. And then the question became, I don't know why she decided that this popped in her head was, was, do you ever look at people out in public? Do you ever like check people out? Granted, all this time, like when she's asking me these questions, it's over a long period of time. We're not doing anything but just sitting in this room and she's putting this tension in here where there's a very hostile and volatile situation and it's incredibly what you would, someone would call boring, but also more like intense and even in its silence or these moments. And that, and after she started asking me about my thoughts, the silence became a problem. Um, silence became a big issue because silence was a time where she would be thinking, what is he thinking? Mm-hmm. So then it became much more important to be talking all the time, to be constantly engaging her in ways that would make her happy and not make her question me. Well, at very first, it was very much literally say what you're thinking as it's happening. If you think of someone from your past, you say it. You tell me, I just thought of this. I just thought of that. And you tell me exactly what it was. So basically, I'm trying to keep up with my thoughts as they're going. I start thinking of the most horrible, debauched things because she's saying you are thinking these horrible, debauched things. <laughs> you're, you're a pervert. Thought police now. It was 100% thought police. That's, the, that's a really good way to put it. Stop having perverted thoughts. And what I ended up learning during in the relationship, because at some point on, on her idea, I got self, a bunch of self-help books to help me with my problems. And so I was reading them, and I found out about the, the white bear effect, which is a psychological study where they, they ask someone to not think about a white bear. Mm-hmm. And then they ask another group to think about the white bear, and then whatever. The point was is that if you ask someone to not think about the white bear, they're just going to think about it twice as hard. So she starts making me think of these debauched things and she has a little sister and I had a image of her sister being sexually abused, which is totally heinous to me. But I had to tell her because I knew um, the amount of that that was involved with that image was so strong that she could clearly see on my face the nervousness that I was going through at the thought of her knowing what I had just pictured in my head. So she asked, what was it? And at this point, I mean, and this happened a couple of times, depending on how bad the thought I thought it was, as I um, just shut down and I was just like, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. and then she does this thing where she's crying and then, she, and then she goes from being angry to being about to die. Like she's, she's having a panic attack. 
And she'll look at me and, and she would say, Sam, my heart, I, can you feel it? Like, it, I'm going to have a heart attack. Please. I like, I, I don't, I can't breathe. Like, can you please just tell me what you were thinking? Please. I need you to. And she's pulling on my heartstrings. I don't want to hurt her whatsoever. That's like the reason why I'm even doing any of this. And so I'm like, okay, fine. And I tell her, and it's like you opened up a chasm in the floor and all the demons from the end of The Mummy Returns just comes out and grabs you and pulls you in. And her face was just on another level and she went absolutely wild. And that's when she really started going at me, throwing me around. I mean, and that's the thing. The physicality of it doesn't get as bad here until we move to an even more remote city. Because of me being a male and her being a female, there's a big stigma between uh, of like, well, how could a how could a a woman abuse a guy physically? I mean, can he just you know take her? And I'm like, well, do you really think I want to take her? You think I I want to hit her? No, I don't want to hit her. I don't want to hurt her. That's the whole point of this is that I'm trying not to hurt her. I'm complying with everything that she wants me to do so that I don't hurt her. And so then, if any resistance to her physical attacks they hurt her almost twice as bad just grabbing her arm by her wrist and pulling them down to her side or pushing them down leaves bruises i mean it's it's like and then what she will do is she'll turn that on me and she'll say you're really gonna hurt me you're gonna hurt your wife you're gonna do this thing that is upsetting me to the point of hurting you justifiably and then you're gonna retaliate against me who do you think you are? You're just making yourself worse. You're making me hate you more. I hate you. And so then I just feel horrible. And I feel like this created a trend where I am the abuser. My thoughts, my actions, me looking at other people in public is an affront against her. It's abusing her. My action, I'm psychologically abusing her is what she says. And so she makes me think that I'm the abuser. So this whole time I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, I have to get better. I have to not, I'm, I'm a horrible person. Um, I'm hardly a person. And that's the thing that she would say too, is that I'm not asking a lot. I'm just asking you to do the bare minimum. Verbatim is what she would say. I'm not asking anything. I just want you to be a, a decent person. Can you just be a decent person and stop having these horrid thoughts? I had been somewhat of a, a good liar my whole life. Like I've been pretty good at, at just, I guess subterfuge in some ways is a good way to put it in my relationships, you know, and being able to like get away with stuff. I, I really strived, I wanted to be someone that was good. And I wanted to be, you know, my point was I wanted to be like a, like a father and like a strong husband, you know, like who provides for his family, you know, all, you know, the whole thing. So this was my chance to do that. Because she wanted nothing to do with my parents, we literally, she didn't want me to deal with them at all in any of our affairs, which was actually in some ways a really good thing for me because that was a problem. I was so close to my parents. My mom helped me with like everything. She was kind of my personal assistant. And in that way, that was one of my problems. I felt like I didn't, you know, I made good money. I did all this, but I just, I wasn't independent. And so this was like, we had to buy new dishes. We had to buy new, so it was my first time buying silver for myself, all those kind of stuff, which was exciting. And in the midst of everything, there's this horrible things happening. So this is getting to probably one of the most shocking things that happened. So we're, now that this is happening, we're in this, vicious cycle and this is actually just after we got married we got married and that was a whole fiasco i mean i could go there's so many stories i had planned this entire honeymoon for this neighboring town and i was really excited for it and right before we left she found out that i had been to that city to visit 
ex-girlfriend who was in college at the time there. And so that was basically ruined the whole thing. We drove all the way down there, got to the Airbnb and found out that the Airbnb was like literally connected to the house and she just hated that. And so we drove all the way back. And it was like a two and a half, three hour drive one way. So we've been fighting on and off for after the wedding thing happened. It was constant at this point. There was no breaks. She would get mad and then there would be these long stints where she would be so mad and she would just sit in a room and then she would play this weird mind game with me where she would force me out of the room. But if I went too willingly, then why do you want to leave the room so bad? Eventually, sometimes she does want me to go because if I don't go, she'll get so mad later saying, you're not respecting me. You're not respecting my privacy. And when I tell you to leave, you're not going. And I'm like, okay, this is impossible. She's putting me in an impossible situation. And then she says, you're putting yourself in an impossible situation. So it's like, uh. She would tell me things whenever she wasn't mad that would, for things for me to do whenever she was mad. She's like, listen, when I get mad next time, do this. And it's so weird. And, and I think that's where some of the trauma bonding comes in, where we're working on a problem together. It's like a team effort to figure this out, even though it's her completely oppressing me. But I'm not, I'm not thinking that at all. What are you doing to make me feel better? What are you saying to make me feel better? I don't feel like you're even trying. And so I would sit, we would sit here for hours and with nothing, like just nothing going on. We're just sitting in a room and she would be like on her phone or something. And then I would just be sitting there turning my reels on how I can phrase the next line that's going to maybe get her to be okay with me. It was just never going to end. So one time she sends me out and I'm sitting there in the living room. I just get this weird feeling. It's been quiet for a while, but she would do that. You know, she would go in there and watch something. She would always have the privilege and I wouldn't, you know, she would always take the electronics out of whatever room I was in. Laptops, anything, game systems, anything that can be taken out, rooted out in her room while I'm in the other room in in jail. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening and and something just doesn't sound right. I open the door and she has one of her razors that you would use to like edge your eyebrows. She's just standing up, looking at me, just go, going to town, just slicing her arms. Like, and not like a normal, like, I knew that she cut, but it wasn't like that. Um, she was being over. It was reckless abandon is the best way to put it. She was not thinking about how deep it, she was going. She was just doing it. And it was on both arms and she was just slicing away. And I, I, I get kind of try to get close to her. She holds the razor up to me which I'm not worried about the razor as much as I am just trying to, how do I get this out of her hands? She's bleeding everywhere. I and mean, we've got blood all over the house and all over the room. I then start lunging towards her. She, as I'm lunging, she starts just ripping into her arm even faster. Like she's just trying to get that last bit in before I take it away from her. It just, it gets insane. I mean, she just starts, we just start wrestling around. I'm trying to get her arms. Like, I'm like, look, one of them is so deep. And she has scars for the rest of our relationship. Within that same time, I think it might have been the same night or the next day, or there's like a couple months there before he moved that just, they just, they're all just like blurred because it really was just a cycle of the same thing. And it was reminiscent of a captive situation. So not much later, I'm out of the room again for some reason. This might have been a couple of days later or something, but I hear after some fighting, I hear a bottle rattle or something that I thought was a bottle rattling. It's just something in me just inherently was like, no. And I run into the room. She's in the closet 
and I look over and she's in the corner, almost like a child's pose with her head in the corner. And I just get down and I, I beat her back and then I grab, I grab her mouth. Like I kind of hinge her mouth open with, with one hand and I stick my hand down her throat and I'm literally pulling pills out of her, out of her, like she's swallowed them and I am mm-hmm. pulling them out. And the whole time, when she talks about this stuff, she, she's telling me it's me. She's saying, oh, you, you were the reason why I kill myself. And she would say, well, when I kill myself, it's be- just know it's because of you. Just, yeah. just know that you're the reason. So then she runs to the bathroom and she, I guess, maybe realizes that at this point, like, she's not doing it. So she starts, like, hyperventilating and freaking out. And I take care of her. And so then we kind of, it kind of chills things out because it was so intense. Sometimes situations would happen where things got so intense that we just both lost all willingness to fight anymore and she would become nice again. So then at some point I get her to work for me. My idea, oddly enough, but I'm in it at this point. I'm thinking about what I can do to make her feel better. She has this job that she's really stressed out. She doesn't really like it. Um, She doesn't like her boss. Her boss is being kind of like pervy, which I definitely don't like. So I'm, I think I'm getting swamped in my job and I'm doing, the, I'm doing the administrative work as well as the field work. Well, why don't you just work for me and then we will both benefit from the extra money. I'll make more money on my own if you were to tighten everything up than you would at a second job. And she was down. And so that's when the real captivity started because from then on, we didn't spend a day apart or a moment apart because she would go to work with me and she would do the scheduling and the dispatching in the passenger seat everywhere I went, I was with her. So then all like my podcasts I listened to would go away unless it was podcasts that she listened to. Driving was always torturous because something would always happen. What's going to set her off today? So one of the things was looking at people in public inappropriately, depending on what time in our relationship, we would go through different rule systems. There would be, sometimes it was, don't look at anybody. If you fucking look at anybody, then I, then you don't even fucking know what's going to happen to you. You know, like then you're disrespecting me, all this kind of stuff. And I would argue like, this is the thing. I'm not always just like super compliant. There's a lot of times where I'm, this is a true discussion and I'm trying let's be real here. Like I cannot not look at people. There's no way that I can go. I can't drive and not see people in the periphery and anywhere. And she would always like make fun of me and put me down for saying stuff like in my periphery. Because she's like, you're always saying that. I saw someone in my periphery. And it's like, did you see him or did you not see him? Like, yes, I saw that they existed. They were right there. That was a bad mark on my report card for the day. Eventually we moved. We moved to uh, a town that was more remote. It was closer to my territory. It was nice in some ways and it was worse in others. It was our, our entire house. It was our house. So it wasn't, we didn't have a duplex system. So we didn't have to worry about the neighbors, but it also isolated us even more. I mean, I'm an hour and a half now officially from uh, where, I, where everyone I know is. And basically it gets really worse. This is when the physical stuff started really getting bad. She knows that I have this thing about my nose. I, I've always said, like, I'd rather get shot in the arm than get hit in the nose. There's just something about it. I hate the idea of getting hit in the nose. I don't, I don't hate it anymore. Let's just say that because she, she knew that. And so she would specifically go after my nose and my face so that it would hurt me. Because whenever I would lie to her, if anything like that got brought up, it would immediately send her to a, a fury that would start violence. As she was interrogating me, she would 
take her her fingers and just pinch and twist my side like where my ribs are and then or she would do it on my arms back of the arms you know right when they're kind of sensitive right there and i mean i would have these giant black and purple whelps just from just that which you know doesn't seem like horrible when it is when you when you mix it with the emotional impact it's it's quite devastating and then kind of questioning me while she's doing that like what what is it huh what is it and then when i would finally let it out that's when she would just go ahead and just hit me. But then I would, and let's be honest here, like when you get hit enough times, you get mad and I would push back or I would, and there was a couple of times I'd hit back or I would, we would wrestle. Like I would say, you know, it's like WrestleMania. <laughs> You're, we're in the house, like literally running around the house. Like she's hitting me and she's attacking me so much that I'm just running to the other end of the house just to like stop for a second. And I'm just like, stop hitting me. And she's like, stop doing this to me. Let me do this. And I would like, you know, hide behind the, the futon or get and, and the thing is, a lot of times I would revert into a more childlike state, yelling and crying and screaming. And she's screaming and we're screaming at intervals that people should not be screaming. We're literally like yelling at each other so much that our throats are engorged and the vessels are like going to pop out. And then the next day we're both dying because our throats are killing us. On top of this, she'll be like squeezing me or like or grabbing me and like trying to hurt me somewhere. And she just look at me with this like her face is completely red. And she would just be like, I hate you. I fucking hate you. I despise you. You know, and she would just say like the worst things. And she would spit at me. And then I would get so mad that I would just initially just spit at her back. And then that was over. And then she had this look. And then she would just go like if, he, if, if she couldn't have gotten any more violent. She's just and then, and I'm I can t- like she'll be attacking me or grabbing me. And she's grabbing just like, it's hard to explain the kind of like shuffle that we're doing. I mean, she's grabbing at my face and there's just scratch marks everywhere. And I would just grab anywhere on her to like hurt her enough that she would just let go. And I'm not even thinking because I'm, the pain is hurt so bad. And so she would then cry because if I hurt her bad enough, she would start crying and sobbing. And then I would feel absolutely horrible. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean, and she would just cry for like, 30 minutes probably and then she would start wailing like why would you do this to me you're ruining my life I can't believe you've done this to me I was normal I was a I was a good person before I met you you ruined my life like all this kind of stuff and making me feel like I've just done this horrible thing and then there were times whenever we would fight so long that we would both I, I would just I would lose my goddamn mind when we were at the old house Sometimes I got into this habit of just hitting my head against the wall until she would come in and put her hand to stop it because she didn't want me to hurt. She didn't want me to hurt myself. I do any serious damage. It's all learned behavior. I'm learning, okay, this works. If I cry this way or, or if I'm, if I'm, I think if I just show her how sad and how upset this makes me, maybe she'll understand how genuine I am. I'm not trying to pull anything over on you. I'm not trying to deceive you. I want, I'm genuinely trying to do something good for you. I'm not trying to work against you, but it never worked. She, and she would grab objects and throw them at me. She would take charter cables, coat hangers, and whip them at me and hit me really hard with them. I mean, I would have these giant welts on my back, and they, oh, it hurts like fire. And we had this room. We had an extra room in the, in the house that was just kind of an auxiliary room that we used for different stuff at different times. But sometimes, a lot of times it was just empty, basically, and I had my closet in there. That was a pretty common room to start rolling around in and fight in because I would always end up running into that room. I would close the door. One time I was closing the door and I sat down to hold the door from her getting in. And she takes the stool in the living room and starts bashing through the door, literally bashing the door in. There isn't a giant hole in the door. She almost goes through. Like she starts 
breaking the wood on the other side. I, mean, I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but I have an image of Jack Nicholas in The Shining yeah. saying, here's <laughs> no, Johnny. Let's, <laughs> let's be real here. I mean, I can't say that that thought didn't pass my mind as it was happening. <laughs> like, like, she's literally, she's literally Kubricking me yeah. right now. And um, that was a moment where my brain at the moment consciously made the connection. Like, this is a very, this is an extreme situation of violence. Sometimes I would, I would lose my mind to the point where I'm just, I'm literally not only having a panic attack, but like a screaming fit. I'm on the floor. Like, I cannot describe to you the amount of saliva, snot, everything. Literally, I'm slipping on the floor. One time in the old house, I was losing my mind because she was playing this game with me where she was going to leave me, which she did a couple of times. She started that, and then I started doing it she would leave or act like she was leaving and she would even pack up and then she would come back. She would call me and she'd be like, no, I'm not really leaving. I'm coming back. It's kind of embarrassing to talk about, but I mean, anyone who's been through a situation like this knows how embarrassing it is. It is what it is. I was acting like a child because I was upset and I didn't know what else to do. And she had kind of taught me that's how I get my way in some ways while also telling me that I'm just a baby and that's how I, and that's how you think you get your way. And you are totally a baby for being this way. She came back inside when I was, when I was being upset and she was started recording me on her phone and I was still screaming and telling her, you know, stop. And, but I was like sitting on the floor in the kitchen with my back to the dryer, kicking the door. Like I'm literally acting like a child. And she would then go on later be like, come over here, come over here. I want you to watch this video. You need to see this for your education. You need to see how you act. At one point, it's a new house. She, in a fit of rage, threw my phone against the wall. It busted, and we never got a new one. So I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have, I had a PS4, which was like my lifeline for a while. And there was a while there where we, got, we went through so many different stages. And within that time, because we would always come up with these new rules, or she would come up with these new, like, ways that we're doing things. And then I would propose things, and then she would accept some things, and it, you know, deny others. And then it was like always like a, like a delegation of what we we're going to do. What, how, how are we going to run our relationship like a bad Roman empire? At some point, dreams became a problem because and it was pretty early on. And once everything got really intense um, at the old house, but it really got bad at the new house. Say we woke up in the morning and I had a boner. If I have a boner, that means I was being I was feeling sexual in some way and I was sexually aroused without her knowledge without her knowing that I was sexually aroused. That was the biggest issue. Why? I don't know it. You're, you're therefore keeping something from me. You're lying to me because you're not telling me when you're sexually aroused. Then it became, what were you dreaming about? What were you dreaming about? What was it that you were dreaming about that uh, made you feel so sexual? So then I would tell her and if, if I had a sex dream or if I would tell her about what happened, if I had dreams about people in my past, if I had dreams that were sexual in nature in any way, those are pretty much the two main things. Or if I had any dreams that were violent or gross in any kind of way, she would judge me for them. You know, she would threaten me, you know, well, you're not sleeping in bed with me tonight, for sure. What was your sex life like? It was very intense at the beginning, for sure. I would say I'm very sexually experienced in my past. I've always been sensitive to people's needs, if that makes sense. She was also very sexually experienced. We would have a lot of sex. We would have very intense sex. You know, she liked choking and stuff like that. We even tried some, like, even 
you know, a little, little more different stuff. Like we did like burning candles or bondage kind of stuff and even did a rape scenario one time. So we were pretty adventurous, I guess, especially at the beginning to the mid area. By the time we moved to the second house, the new house, Sex became a lot stranger because right before we moved, this was a big deal. This is why this is hard because there's so many things. We were getting really bad with the fighting. And the thing that kind of temporarily stopped it from being constant all the time was that I had decided that we had kind of, sometimes she would get baby fever. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of got the idea that, oh, well, if we have a baby, then she'll see that I'm a good father. And then that I can love this thing so much and she'll love that and she'll love seeing me love it so much and see that I'm a good person. And this, so then she'll stop with all this nonsense and she'll, she'll just trust me that I'm a good person on the basis of my love for my child. That was the idea. I knew that this would work for her because she loves these. She's so into these rash gestures, you know, that are just forceful and I took her birth control and I flushed it down the toilet and she loved it. She took a picture of it. Like she was just loving it, you know? And so then, which this is so scary. We didn't have a kid, by the way. We basically tried for the rest of our relationship. So for the next year, we are about, we are trying to have a kid. This is where the sexual nature of everything can be. It's really convoluted. Because we were fighting so much, we didn't have sex as much. It was more of a once a day to once every other day, which for the way that we were before, that was significantly less. And what ended up happening with it is that when we did have sex, the first time around, round one, didn't take me too long because I'm sensitive. It's just, it's been a while, so I'm just going to, I'm probably going to go a little earlier. That was normal anyway, pretty much, but a lot of times she would, you know, finish with me. But because of one thing or another, if she was slightly upset with me or anything, if she wasn't feeling it, if, if she didn't go with me, she didn't finish with me, it was not good. It was not good news. It was bad news. It meant that whatever I had been working on that whole day to make sure things were better or what, what it didn't matter, whether it was just getting better. Sometimes it was worse because it was just getting better. We just, like, I just broke her being angry. Sometimes I would break her being angry by seducing her. I mean, I'm not, like, that's exactly what would happen. We would, she'd be laying down upset for so long, and then I would lay next to her and spoon her, and the next thing you know, we're getting a little frisky. And that would end the situation. But if she didn't finish with me, then she was, it would start off not as extremely mad. She would go to the bathroom and, you know, do her thing. And there was, like, an air of just, like, bad and so I would then, then, and this is so horrible. I was like, watch my train wreck. Sorry. And she'd be like, sorry for what? And I'd be like, you know, for you not coming. And she'd be like, what else is new? Now, turn it around. If, I, if, if she does finish with me, then, oh, my God, it's fucking, you know, Sex Olympics 2018. We're just having sex all night. Like, I'm literally just. And so I got to the point where I learned if I could just get past that one, I learned that I could just be basically just a sex machine. I would just learn to just have sex with her in the perfect way to make her finish many times as she wanted, as long as she wanted. Now I'm realizing this on top of another type of situation that happened. There's a lot of psychological stuff that comes with that. Yeah. I was literally being used as a machine and it all was based off of something that I didn't really want. And that's the thing. She would just randomly just get super sexual and then she would just expect me to be on it. Here's when 
things got really bad. Well, this is a situation that I've come to find is I have a hard time with it because it's really, it's just a really weird situation. So in this time when we're having sex to get pregnant, so she would command me to come into the room and plant my seed in her. But she would, from the beginning, call me a name first. She would say, I still hate you, but I want your DNA, so just come here. Don't fucking touch me. While it was happening, first of all, if I was to have, if we were to have sex and I was to have a thought of my past or a, th- a sexual thought, or if I was to have a, if we were like, say, having a position that I'd done with someone else and I remembered that or pictured that, I was supposed to end the sex immediately or I was lying to her. And then if I ended the sex immediately because of that, not only did I just end sex early, which is not going to go over well with her, but also I'm doing it because I've done something that is going to make her want to beat my face in. So there was just nothing good there on top of everything. But as I'm doing it, she would be telling me like, oh my God, whenever I, whenever I have this, if I have this baby, I'm totally going to leave to California and you're never going to see it ever again. And, and those are, I mean, anyone who has kids, obviously they know that's horrible, but even for, I don't know, considering how much I wanted one, that was a really, that was really messed up. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I didn't really realize it until very, very recently, but I mean, that was, that was rape. That got raped. It's weird. Be- it's weird because it doesn't really follow the same formula as most, but I didn't want that. I was doing it under the pretenses of fear. I was scared and that's why I did it. And then, and I get the guilt too of enjoying yourself as well. Cause of course I'm having sex. Like it feels good. That literally does not even come into the equation of whether it was okay or not. So I kind of get like, you know, there's some shame with when girls get raped and they, you know, orgasm or something like there's a there's shame to that. Cause it's like, well, you couldn't have been raped because you enjoyed it, but like, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Or you couldn't have been raped because you agreed to it in a sense. Right. Of... There is, you're consenting with your body. Yeah. It's, it's and, like you have a gun to your gross. head. Yeah. And so I've noticed since I've been out, I started to have a relationship with someone else. Um, and I pre recently had to end that most of it had to do with just not being able to deal with my trauma. It was obviously, obviously to anyone who see this from the outside being involved with someone else right now is not a good idea, but the person was a good person and everything was cordial. But when it comes to sex, like it, a lot of problems came up because of, everything that happened. I didn't realize it was going to be like that. So I'm so used to being somewhat normal when it comes to sexual things. So basically if we're hanging out and I know that that person wants that sex at some point, I'm just, I'm just an anxious mess the whole time because I'm just, it's this, I'm literally repeating the same feeling I was feeling then I would spend all day worried about when, when's it going to happen? Mm-hmm. When, like, how is it going to go down? If she starts in this position, then I'm, I might be fucked. Like that's, it's not really the best position to get her to do that, you know, just stuff like that. So then with the sleeping thing, I, I, I sleep and she would wake me up in the middle of the night just looking at me. Like her eyes, she, would just, she had been staring at me for however long. What were you dreaming about? And of course, I just woke up, first of all. But, and this, this happened a countless amounts of time. Like this is not like just like this one instance. And she would ask me and if I, I would tell her. And if I didn't say it fast enough or if I, oh, because a lot of times... I just had this natural reaction to just say no. No, nothing happened. 
Because if nothing happened and she would believe me, then we could just keep going. We'd be fine. Yeah. I wouldn't even have to like do damage control because, and if I don't remember right now, what does it matter? I don't remember. No, nothing happened. She would just be like, stop doing that. You always make it a million times worse when you do that. Uh Like when you do stuff like that, you just, I was going to be okay. Like as she said, I was going to be cool, but you did that. And now I'm not. Then I would tell her about the dream. And sometimes depending on what it was, there was plenty of times where it was just heinous enough for her to just, without mentioning me in the middle of talking, she just decked me right in the face hard enough for me to just fall off the bed. And then that's when I'm in defense mode at this point, not because, not because I'm defenseless, but because I don't want to hurt her. It's hard even now to say bad things about her, mm-hmm. as you can probably tell, even though I'm, this whole thing is describing bad things that she did. There's a difference between logic and logic and emotions, for sure, and I've learned that a lot. You know, part of uh, what's going on in this situation here is, is, a, is a very classic case of cognitive dissonance. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm on one hand feeling remorse for leaving my family and my friends, I'm missing them all the time, but then I'm also repressing it because I'm also in full belief that she's the love of my life. I'm in the yeah. full belief that we are working on this thing together to do this. A part of There is a part of me there at the same time is questioning everything and thinking, this is crazy. People don't do this. And I would say so, as, as much to her sometimes. I would say, you know, this is not normal. This is not what people do. She is so on this everyone against us kind of like mentality everyone's horrible. I hate everyone. I just adopted that viewpoint. And so then she made me, she convinced me, but there were times where I would fight back. Like there were times where I would say, no, I miss my family. You know what? This is bullshit. I miss my family. I want to see them. She would say, your family does not even care about you. What have they really ever done for you? They, your, your parents just want you for their own selfish needs. Everything they've ever done for you is just to make themselves feel better. And they don't even really care about you. I'm the only person that ever, that ever actually really cared about you. And of course, as stupid as it sounded, I believed it. So things that got really bad, like we're we're starting to talk about suicide like all the time. Sometimes she would sit there in the bathroom and she would, I'd be like, what can I do to make you feel better? She'd be like, kill yourself. Just kill yourself. Like you would be doing everyone a favor if you just die. And she would even, sometimes she would take the pill bottles out and she would put them in my hand and she would be like, do it, follow them, kill yourself. But basically, the fighting would get so bad that um, because of something that happened that morning, she would get in the car with me for the day of driving for work, like six hours to eight hours driving, and she would cry at the top of her lungs, screaming, why did you do this to me, just wailing all day. I'm not exaggerating when I say all day. I mean, we drove for hours. She's at the top of her lungs screaming. I get out to my client. I go take pictures of their car. You can faintly hear her scream from inside the car. I have to act like a normal person, then I get into this. And the whole time I'm just saying I'm sorry or driving silently. One time, we were getting home from a really long drive. And sometimes those drives, it's a reason we didn't die because we, she would, we'd be fighting in the car. Yeah. Like she'd be beating me up while I'm driving on the interstate. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would just lose my shit so much that I would just stomp on the brakes in the middle of the interstate, swerve around. I would drive crazy to get her to act normal. But um, so this is one of those times we're almost home. We've had a really long gap of time where we haven't talked and it's been really quiet. And um, I, right before I pull in, she's like, all right, let me hear it. Right, what were you thinking? There's always this tension of whether I should say something or say nothing. Yeah. And so eventually I say something and she says, you know, because I'm just thinking of what can I say that's like just normal. So I'll be like, uh, what do you want to eat when we get back? 
And she, she'd be like, you haven't talked to me in the last two hours, and that's what you're going to say? So then I'd be like, no. Like, I just pulled into the driveway, and after the full, first thing I said, she just hit me a couple times in the jaw, and I just was like, ugh. And she was like, oh, don't, don't even start with me. Like, you're really going to start with me right now? I can't remember what happened exactly, but she said something like, I like was just not having it. So I was being a little like a, a little rebellious. And so she just kind of was messing with me. So she said, you know, leave, just leave. Cause she would do that sometimes, you know, she'd make me leave. Sometimes she would, she would, she would lock me out of the house with nothing but my phones on and it's cold. And I would just one time just to get her to stop, like to call her bluff basically. I started walking out of the neighborhood barefooted in the cold. And she got in my car and drove out there to pick me up saying that I was stupid. I was going to get the cops called. She like went inside and then she got back outside to take the dog out. From there, was out the front yard looking at me and was just, "What are you doing? What are you still doing here?" Kind of thing. And I was and as snapped, I was just like, "All right, no, that's it." And I just left and I strode, drove straight to my parents' house, an hour and a half away, with nothing. By the way, she holds everything: my wallet. I don't have a wallet. She just has my credit card and my ID and her purse that she keeps on her. Um, laptops, anything. She takes everything that I could possibly use. I'm always just nothing on me. So I'm driving and I don't even have anything but my glasses on, I guess. So I drive all the way there and then I, and I'm freaking out because and almost the entire time there I'm driving, you know, kind of like the standard why God kind of stuff. And then I just start listening to NPR. And the reason why is because I could not do that. So I just like missed listening to... <laughs> the radio so I like put that on and that kind of like soothed me over till I got there and then my parents my mom just happened to be off work that day kind of she was in the doctor's office she came home we kind of acted normal until my dad got home and my dad they hadn't seen me by the way I could probably do another two hours and just the specifics of the relationship between my parents and this situation yeah. my parents hadn't seen me in over six months at least I'd never seen my dad so emotional I guess but uh, I started talking to them about everything that's happening. Meanwhile, she was just blowing up my parents' phone. I don't know what to do because I'm afraid of her wrath. But I'm not ready yet. Like, I'm not ready. I'm afraid of her, but I'm also afraid of what happens if I don't respond. Mm -hmm. And so I'm afraid both ways. It doesn't matter. And so I'm kind of locked. And I start telling my parents about, like, everything. I just start spewing out, you know, and just like a machine gun, just little things here and there and here and there and tell them about the thoughts. I tell them about how she's hitting me. And I mean, I, I am currently bruised up when I'm there. Yeah. Like they can see that I've got bruises. She ends up driving an hour and a half. And so she eventually, because my parents were answering, she just assumed that that's where I was. And so she drove all the way over there. So at some point I'm sitting upstairs and she comes up to the house and text my dad that she's at the house. And so my dad goes down there to meet her while me and my mom keep talking. And we start calling this friend of family friend of ours. who's also an addiction counselor. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm talking to him and he's telling me, you know, Oh, it's probably borderline personality. This is definitely pretty classic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yada. Meanwhile, what I didn't know until later downstairs, my dad is threatening to call the police on her because she's being so aggressive trying to come inside Good. And then um, she finally gets let in and she just starts ripping my dad a new one, which is definitely not what he's used to. Her thing is like, she doesn't care who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're older or younger. 
I finally started going downstairs. She looks at me and I had this, I, I think for the first time in a long time, I had like a, like an actual look at her that was saying like, oh my God, she's crazy. But like, I, I, I still, I was so stuck. I couldn't get out of that. Like that was just a, I was just a, a moment thought. And she was like, oh baby. And she like comes up to me and she told me, no, you scared me so much. I was so scared. And she's being all nice. And she's trying to get us out of the room, uh, out of the kitchen. So she's like, oh, I need to get this thing from my car. Like, we'll go back in and find this, come out here. And so I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. And she's like, come on, babe, come on. And so I go out there and she's like, let's get out of here. Come on, let's go right now. Let's go. Babe, like I, I we got to go back inside because we need help. We need help. She's like, I know. We'll get help. Let's just go home. Come on. We'll get help. I'll just go home. I'm not going to hit you anymore. It's fine. Like she keeps saying something like that. Like, I'm not going to hit you anymore. And everything's going to be better now. You scared me. You did it. You did what you wanted. You got what you wanted. You freaked me out. Like, officially, it's done. No, we got to go back inside. We just have to at least wait until this therapist guy gets here and we'll talk for a little bit and then we'll see what was going on. Because in my head, I'm thinking, I can't go back to that house with her like i have to stay here because that's what's probably best for me but it was just like enough for me to be like yeah i I can't stand for that right like that's too much so the therapist guy comes over and we start talking and she's being very cooperative not too cooperative not like like she's a robot but she definitely was saying okay yeah we need therapy there's obviously a problem If if he's coming over here then there's a problem but she was actually like really having some real arguments with me and the guy was like, okay, look, this, we're definitely not going to be solving this here tonight, but I think he needs to stay here for a little bit. You guys need to separate for just a little bit, you know, until you get this sorted out and all this stuff. And she's like, no, no way. She looks at me and she goes, you're not going to leave me alone at, the house, at, at that house tonight, right? She says, he works, we work together and we have to go to the city tomorrow. We have all these claims that we have set up. We have to go. And even this guy who's a family friend and everything, he's just like, all right. I'm going to give you guys a list of, of names for therapists that we can go to. You guys have got to go. And he looks at me and he says, if she does not go by these rules, you have to leave and you have to do it resolutely. And she said, well, you don't have to worry. I won't. I won't. I won't. She looks at me and says, I promise I'm not going to hurt you anymore. I'm not going to hit you anymore. Everything's going to be fine. You don't have to tell me about your thoughts anymore. All this stuff. So as we're leaving, I already said something's weird. I just, I just say, say something like, I can't remember what I say, but she's just like, can we just go home? And I was like, okay. She's like, I'm tired. It's been a lot today. So we drove separately. So we drive home. And when I get there, I was kind of in a good mood somewhat because they're kind of optimistic because, hey, we're going to get better now. We're, she's going to actually go to therapy with me. And therapy had been such an issue. Bringing up therapy was the quickest way I could make her mad. And I had, I had promised her on multiple occasions that I wouldn't bring it up. She said to me, oh, yeah, no, I was lying about all of that. I lied about all of that. And uh, immediately, like, my stomach just dropped. My whole world collapses. And what you did today was the biggest betrayal of my trust that I could even, I could even think possible. You completely let me down. Um, you told your parents about our marriage, about our relationship. You told your parents about the things that, do you, what, what would you say if I told my mom about the stuff that you said about my sister? Why don't I just go tell my mom that you're a pedophile? Why don't I just go tell my mom that you're, that, you know, blah, 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 blah. and she said, I'm not going to hit you anymore, but just know it was, you did it in the worst way possible. And for the next two weeks, it was weirdly okay. Like she would get upset with me sometimes, but it was, it was a lot more minor. 
eventually it all just, it always ran back into the same circle of these rules that we're making. The next three months happen, same kind of stuff happens. We're going over and over and over. So I'm sitting on the couch. I'm playing a video game. It was so weird because the day that I left was actually a really great day. Like we had like a lot of fun. Like we were just kind of hanging out in the backyard and playing games and starting a fire and just having a chill day. It was like super fun. And then we hadn't been fighting all day. And then that night she was reading a article or a forums on her phone. And I just happened to look over and see that one of the names of the the forum guys was Alien Sex Fiend 200 or something. I thought the name was kind of funny. But at the same time, I got really nervous because it's like, oh, my God, if she saw that I read that, she's going to be so upset that I'm like, it's like she's going to think I'm being sexual or something like that. And so then, but she didn't see that I read it, I didn't think. And so I just kind of like, kept doing my thing and then she read out alien sex fiend and she was she kind of laughed and i was like huh that's funny she stops and she goes did you see that before i said anything yeah and she was like why did you act like you didn't though well because i thought you would get mad at me if you knew that i had seen like that name and she was like so you lied to me then and you were deceiving me yeah 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 and then she was like, well, what else did you do today? Let's hear it. Since you think you can just get away with this, what else did you think you could get away with today? And then um, I just was so just like, no, like we've been doing good. Like, I just can't do this again. Like, please. I said like maybe one or two things. And then I was just like, I don't really remember. Like, and I, like, I've just been having a good day. Like, I don't really remember what it was. But I'm sure I had more bad thoughts. And she was like, so you're just evil then. You're just pure evil. And I was like, I guess I am. And I just got up and, I mean, this happened so many times. I got up and started getting my shoes on and whatnot. Yeah, yeah okay, you're going to leave. If you're going to leave, then, you know, she pushes me out. And then as I'm leaving, she's like, just know whenever you leave, you can't come back. Don't bother coming back. Just know that if you leave, that you left your wife, but leave. And, you know, like, I can't stay there. But if I leave, then I'm the worst person in the world. So there's, like, nothing I can do. And at some point, I just, I just, no. This is kind of weird. I got in the car and I'm like super into cemeteries. And since I drive a lot for my job, I'm like always finding little cemeteries everywhere that are really cool. And the older, the better. There's this, this one I knew in this little back area of the town. And I drove over there first. I didn't know what I was doing. I had nothing but shorts on. I don't even think I had shoes. I just had shorts on and like a t-shirt. And I sat up there, and it's like this really creepy cemetery on the hill, standing up there. And I just, in this time, I had kind of connected, not with God, but like with, like a higher, higher power, I guess. And I was kind of sitting there like, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. What do I do? And I said it out loud. I was like, I don't know. I have no idea at this point what is up and what is down, what's right, what's wrong, what is what. Is what. I feel so bad for leaving. Like, I feel like I'm the worst person in the world for leaving. And yet I know that somewhere in me, I know that it's the best it's what I need to do because it's, this is horrible. And I basically just had this thought of like, well, I guess on its basis, it's codependency and that's obviously not good. So mm-hmm. at its core, this relationship is not based off what it needs to be. And I, that's it. 
And I, st- I stood up at the top of this hill at the cemetery in the middle of the night and I stuck my arms out. I felt this like waited for a little bit. And I felt the weirdest, it was the weirdest sound. I felt this weird wind hit me. It felt like a sign, but more than anything, I think my brain just need, I needed to, to make a decision and I needed something to tell me a sign one way or the other. That way I, I just did something because I didn't know what to do. And I, I felt that and I got in my car and I drove all the way back to my house and I never went back. Wow. It's always so interesting what will be the final straw in things. Yeah, that is the funny <laughs> thing about it, huh? It's like it was such a small thing. There have been so many bigger situations that yeah. could have created that much more intense situation yeah. service. But yeah, I never went back. so much for listening and thank you so much to my guest uh here is a quick update where we talk about where my guest is now and something that they wanted to share hello hey it's justin hey how are you doing good i can't explain really the, the only thing that i really wanted to say was that I'm just I'm not a man anymore like I said I was that's really the biggest issue Mm -hmm. I mean I'm just I'm non-binary so I just kind of like was like if I could if I could choose between being a man and a woman I just choose not Mm -hmm. because gender to me isn't real it just it's a social construct Mm -hmm. so I guess one of the things is with what I was saying in the last interview was I was talking a lot about getting you know more acknowledgement of men in abuse situations Mm -hmm. and I do want that in a way I just don't really want to call it that I'm just more like everyone needs to be known and people who are societally seen as men definitely aren't reported as much and don't have as much support so they do need to be helped yeah I guess when did you come to this uh, realization or well it's actually kind of intertwined with um, my abuse in a weird way Uh, my whole, really, it's a whole life thing, but I'm not going to get into that. I've always been everything. I like anything. And I've always said, as long as it's complicated, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. In life, I could get into anything. And so as a kid, it didn't really matter whether it was guy stuff, quote unquote, or girl stuff. It was just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But as I grew up, there are, I've always been a little mm, flamboyant, maybe is the way to put it. Just. Anyway, so yeah. fast forward many, many, many years, I'm married. And she actually kind of introduced me to this in a weird way with my wife. Um, we started watching um, RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. And I had never seen that. And I, you know, I never had any problems with drag. I just didn't know. I was interested because I'm interested in everything. Yeah. And I just fell in love with all of it, the fabulousness, the idea of kind of having an alter ego that you could kind of unleash in, in a way it's like another truer version of yourself, or you can express in ways that you wouldn't want to in your normal life, stuff like that, I mean, yeah. but I just kind of loved that, and it kind of made me think about, oh, maybe I'd be into that, and then she was totally down with that, she, she was kind of open to that side, yeah. oddly enough, is you know, abusive as she was, you'd think she'd be so constrict restrictive, but in a weird way, she kind of like also laid the seeds of a big opening for me, which is yeah. kind of how the life works, I guess. 
to me. My parents were super open and always let me be me. And that was the thing. And that's why I've been able to freely be myself for most of my life. The only thing is I just didn't know that I didn't have a gender. That was it. <laughs> but that did rob me of a lot of things that I could have been into because I didn't go for those things because I didn't, I had that societal pressure that that's not what I do. It's not my role. Eventually, I just saw it was something on Instagram. Someone had posted something about being non-binary, and the post really resonated with me. And I was like, "What is that?" And I looked it up, and I was like, "That's me, 100%. That's what I've been looking for my whole life." And <laughs> it was as simple as that. And ever since then, I haven't turned back. And, I, and, I it's, and it's, oh, in some ways, it's been great because I've been able to be me more than you know. Despite my abuse, that's a whole other thing of that's bringing my life in a certain way, but. As far as my own identity with who I am, I mean, that definitely has been opening for me. As long as you're not hurting anybody, I don't, I don't, I don't care how you identify. That's all it is. Yes, do your thing. Like, why am, why does it matter that you look or act in any way as long as it's not hurting someone? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely like overall things are a lot better in my life for sure.